0: Book One of The Art of the Moving Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chuck Williamson. The Art of the Moving Picture. By Vachel Lindsay. Book One The General Photoplay Situation in America. January 1st, 1922 especially as viewed from the heights of the Civic Center at Denver, Colorado, and the Denver Art Museum, which is to be a leading feature of this Civic Center. In the second chapter of Book 2, on page 8, the theoretical outline begins with a discussion of the photoplay of action. I put there on record the first crude commercial films that in any way establish the principle there can never be but one first of anything and if the negatives for these films survive the shrinking and the warping that comes with time they will still be in a certain sense classic and ten years hence or two years hence will still be better remembered than any films of the current releases which come on like newspapers and as george Aide says nothing is so dead as yesterday's newspaper But the first newspapers, and the first imprints of Addison's Spectator, and the first almanacs of Benjamin Franklin, and the first broadside ballads, and the like, are ever collected and remembered. And the list of films given in books two and three of this work are the only critical and carefully sorted list of the early motion pictures that I happen to know anything about i hope to be corrected if i am too boastful but i boast that my list must be referred to by all those who desire to study these experiments and their beginnings so i let them remain as still vivid in the memory of all true lovers of the photoplay who have watched its growth fascinated from the first but i would add to the list of the action pictures of chapter two the recent popular example Douglas Fairbanks in The Three Musketeers. That is perhaps the most literal chase picture that was ever really successful in the commercial world. The story is cut to one episode. The whole task of the four famous swordsmen of Dumas is to get the Queen's token that is in the hands of Buckingham in England, and return with it to Paris in time for the Great Ball— it is one long race with the cardinal's guards who are, at last, left behind. It is the same plot as Raynard the Fox, John Macefield's poem, Raynard successfully eluding the huntsmen and the dogs. If that poem is ever put on in an art museum film, it will have to be staged like one of Aesop's fables, with a man acting the fox for the children's delight and I earnestly urge all who would understand the deeper significance of the chase picture or the action picture to give more thought to Macefield's poem than to Fairbanks' marvelous acting in the school of the younger Salvini. The mood of the intimate photoplay, Chapter 3, still remains indicated in the current films by the acting of Lillian Gish and Mary Pickford when they are not roused up by their directors to turn handsprings to keep the people staring. Mary Pickford, in particular, has been stimulated to be over-athletic, and in all her career she has been given just one chance to be her more delicate self, and that was in the almost forgotten film, A Romance of the Redwoods. This is one of these serious commercial attempts that should be revived and studied in spite of its crudities of plot by our art museums. There is something of the grandeur of the Redwoods in it, in contrast to the sustained Botticelli grace of our Mary. I am the one poet who has a right to claim for his muses Blanche Sweet, Mary Pickford, and May Marsh, i am the one poet who wrote them songs before they were biograph heroines before their names were put on the screen or the name of their director women's clubs are always asking me for bits of delicious gossip about myself to fill up literary essays now there's a bit there are two things to be said for these poems first they are heartfelt Second any one could improve on them in the fourth chapter of book two i discourse elaborately and formally on the motion picture of fairy splendor and to this carefully balanced technical discourse i would add the informal word this new year's day that this type is best illustrated by such fairy tales as have been most ingratiatingly retold in the books of pedraic column and dazzlingly illustrated by willie pogany the column pogany school of thought is one which the commercial producers have not yet condescended to illustrate in celluloid and it remains a special province for the art museum film Fairy tales need not be more than one-tenth of a real long. Some of the best fairy tales in the whole history of man can be told in a breath, and the best motion picture story for fifty years may turn out to be a real ten minutes long. Do not let the length of the commercial film tyrannize over your mind, O oh young art museum photoplay director, remember the brevity of lincoln's gettysburg address and so my commentary new year's day 1922 proceeds using for points of more and more extensive departure the refrains and old catchphrases of books 2 and 3 chapter 5 the picture of crowd splendor being the type illustrated by griffith's intolerance chapter 6 The Picture of Patriotic Splendor, which was illustrated by all the war films, the one most recently approved and accepted by the public being, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Chapter 7. The Picture of Religious Splendor, which has no examples that remain in the memory with any sharpness in 1922, except The Faith Healer founded on the play by William von Moody, the poet, with much of the directing and scenario by Mrs. William von Moody, and a more talked-of commercial film, The Miracle Man. But not until the religious film is taken out of the commercial field and allowed to develop unhampered under the church and the art museum will the splendid religious and ritualistic opportunity be realized. Chapter 8 Sculpture in Motion being a continuation of the argument of Chapter 2, The Photoplay of Action. Like the action film, this aspect of composition is much better understood by the commercial people than some other sides of the art. Some of the best of the William S. Hart productions show appreciation of this quality by the director, the photographer, and the public. Not only is the man, but the horse, allowed to be moving bronze and not mere cowboy pasteboard. Many of the pictures of Charles Ray make the hero quite a bronze-looking, sculpturesque person, despite his yokel raiment. Chapter 9. Painting in Motion, being a continuation on a higher terrace of Chapter 3, the intimate photo play. Charlie Chaplin has intimate and painter's qualities in his acting and he makes himself into a painting or an etching in the midst of furious slapstick. But he has been in no films that were themselves paintings. The argument of this chapter has been carried much further in Friedberg's book, The Art of Photoplaymaking. Chapter 10. Furniture, Trappings, and Inventions in Motion, being a continuation of the chapter on Fairy Splendor. In this field, we find one of the worst failures of the commercial films, and their utterly unimaginative corporation promoters. Again I must refer them to such fairy books as those of Padraic Column, where neither sword, nor wing, nor boat is found to move, except for a fairy reason. I have just returned this very afternoon from a special showing of the famous imported film, the cabinet of dr caligari some of the earliest spirits of the denver art association finding it was in storage in the town had it privately brought forth to study it with reference to its bearings on their new policies what influence it will have in that most vital group time will show meanwhile it is a marvellous illustration of the meaning of this chapter and the chapter on fairy splendor though it is a diabolical not a beneficent vitality that is given to inanimate things the furniture trappings and inventions are in motion to express the haunted mind as in griffith's avenging conscience described pages one twenty one through one thirty two the two should be shown together in the same afternoon in the art museum study rooms caligari is undoubtedly the most important imported film since that work of dionuzio cabiria described pages fifty five through fifty seven but it is the opposite type of film cabiria is all outdoors and splendor on the mediterranean scale in general imported films do not concern americans for we have now a vast range of technique all we lack is the sense to use it the cabinet of caligari is indeed a cabinet and the feeling of being in a cell and smothered by all the oppressions of a weary mind does not desert the spectator for a minute the play is more important technically than in its subject matter and mood. It proves in a hundred new ways the resources of the film in making all the inanimate things which, on the spoken stage, cannot act at all the leading actors in the films, but they need not necessarily act to a diabolical end. An angel could have as well been brought from the cabinet as a murderous somnambulist and every act of his could have been a work of beneficence and health and healing. I could not help but think that the ancient miracle play of the resurrection of Osiris could have been acted out with similar simple means, with a mummy case and a great sarcophagus. The wings of Isis and Nephthys could have been spread over the sky instead of the oppressive walls of a crooked city lights instead of shadows could have been made actors and real hieroglyphic inscriptions instead of scrawls as it was the alleged insane man was more sensible than most motion picture directors for his scenery acted with him and not according to accident or silly formula i make these points as an antidote to the general description of this production by those who praise it they speak of the scenery as grotesque strained and experimental and the plot as sinister but this does not get to the root of the matter there is rather the implication in most of the criticisms and praises that the scenery is abstract quite the contrary in this case. Indoors look like indoors. Streets are always streets. Roofs are always roofs. The actors do not move about in a kind of crazy geometry as I was led to believe. The scenery is oppressive, but sane, and the obsession is for the most part expressed in the acting and plot the fair looks like a fair and the library looks like a library there is nothing experimental about any of the setting nothing unconsidered or strained or over-considered it seems experimental because it is thrown into contrast with extreme commercial formulas in the regular line of the movie trade but compare the cabinet of dr caligari with a book of or Dulaç, or Durer, or Rembrandt's etchings, and Dr. Caligari is more realistic, and Eggers insists the whole thing is replete with suggestions of the work of Pieter Bruegel, the painter. Hundreds of indoor stories will be along such lines, once the merely commercial motive is eliminated, and the artist is set free. This film is an extraordinary variation of the intimate as expounded in chapter three. It is drawing in motion instead of painting in motion because it was a drawing instead of a painting. Literary-minded people stepped to the hasty conclusion it was experimental. Half-tone effects are for the most part eliminated. Line is dominant everywhere. It is the opposite of vast conceptions like Theodora, which are architecture in motion. All the architecture of the Caligari film seems pasteboard. The whole thing happens in a cabinet. It is the most overwhelming contrast to Griffith's intolerance that could be in any way imagined. It contains, one may say, all the effects left out of intolerance. The word cabinet is a quadruple pun. Not only does it mean a mystery box and a box holding a somnambulist, but a kind of treasury of tiny twisted thoughts. There is not one line or conception in it on the grand scale, or even the grandiose. It is a devil's toy house. One feels like a mouse in a mousetrap, so small one cannot turn around. In intolerance, Griffith hurls nation at nation, race at race, century against century, and his camera is not only a telescope across the plains of Babylon, but across the ages. Griffith is, in intolerance, the ungrammatical Byron of the films but certainly as magnificent as byron and since he is the first of his kind i for one am willing to name him with marlow but for technical study for art schools the cabinet of dr caligari is more profitable it shows how masterpieces can be made with the second-hand furniture of any attic but i hope fairy tales not diabolical stories will come from these attics Fairy tales are inherent in the genius of the motion picture, and are a thousand times hinted at in the commercial films, though the commercial films are not willing to stop to tell them. Lillian Gish could be given wings in a wand if she only had directors and scenario writers who believed in fairies, and the same could most heartily be said of May Marsh. Chapter 11 architecture in motion being a continuation of the argument about the splendor picture in chapters five six and seven this is an element constantly re-illustrated in a magnificent but fragmentary way by the news films Any picture of a seagull flying so close to the camera that it becomes as large as a flying machine, or any flying machine made by man and photographed in epic flight, captures the eye because it is architecture and in motion, motion which is the mysterious fourth dimension of its grace and glory. So likewise, and in kind, any picture of a tossing ship, the most superb example of architecture in motion in the commercial history of the films is the march of the moving war towers against the walls of babylon in griffith's intolerance but griffith is the only person so far who has known how to put a fighting soul into a moving tower the only real war that has occurred in the films with the world's greatest war going on outside was griffith's war against babylon the rest was news chapter twelve thirty differences between the photoplays and the stage the argument of the whole of the nineteen fifteen edition has been accepted by the studios the motion picture magazines and the daily motion picture columns throughout the land i have read hundreds of editorials and magazines and scarcely one that differed from it in theory most of them read like paraphrases of this work and of all arguments made the one in this chapter is the one oftenest accepted in its entirety the people who dominate the films are obviously those who grew up with them from the very beginning and the merely stage actors who rushed in with the highest tide of prosperity now have to take second rank if they remain in the films but most of these have gone back to the stage by this time with their managers as well and certainly this chapter is abundantly proved out chapter thirteen hieroglyphics one of the implications of this chapter and the one preceding is that the fewer words printed on the screen the better and that the ideal film has no words on it at all but is one unbroken sheet of photography this is admitted in theory in all the studios now though the only film of the kind ever produced of general popular success was the old swimmin hole acted by charles ray if i remember there was not one word on the screen after the cast of characters was given the whole story was clearly and beautifully told by photoplay hieroglyphics for this feature alone despite many defects of the film it should be studied in every art school in america meanwhile title writing remains a commercial necessity In this field, there is but one person who has one distinction, Anita Luz. She is one of the four or five important and thoroughly artistic brains in the photoplay game. Among them is the distinguished John Emerson. In combination with John Emerson, director, producer, etc., she has done so many other things as well. Her talents as a title writer are incidental, but certainly to be mentioned in this place. The outline we are discussing continues through Book 3, More Personal Speculations and Afterthoughts, Not Brought Forward So Dogmatically. Chapter 14, The Orchestra, Conversation, and the Censorship. In this chapter, on page 189, I suggest suppressing the orchestra entirely and encouraging the audience to talk about the film. No photoplay people have risen to contradict this theory, but it is a chapter that once caused me great embarrassment. With Christopher Morley, the well-known author of Shandygraph and other temperance literature, I was trying to prove out this chapter as soon as the orchestra stopped. While the show rolled on in glory, I talked about the main points in this book, illustrating it by the film before us. Almost everything that happened was a happy illustration of my ideas. But there were two shopgirls in front of us awfully in love with a certain second-rate actor who insisted on kissing the heroine every so often, and with her apparent approval— every time we talked about that those shop girls glared at us as though we were robbing them of their time and money finally one of them dragged the other out into the aisle and dashed out of the house with her dear chum saying so all could hear well come on tarasa we might as well go if these two talking pests are going to keep this up behind us The poor girl's voice trembled. She was in tears. She was gone before we could apologize or offer flowers. So I say in applying this chapter in our present stage of civilization, sit on the front seat, where no one can hear your whisperings but Mary Pickford on the screen. She is but a shadow there and will not mind. Chapter 15 the substitute for the saloon i leave this argument as a monument just as it was written in nineteen fourteen and fifteen it indicates a certain power of forecasting on the part of the writer we dries have certainly won a great victory some of the photoplay people agree with this temperance sermon and some of them do not the wets make one mistake above all They do not realize that the Dries can still keep on voting Dry with intense conviction and great battle cries, and still have a sense of humor. Chapter 16. California and America This chapter was quoted and paraphrased almost bodily as the preface to one of my volume of verses, The Golden Whales of California i know all this when the gipsy fiddles cry a song of some length recently published in the new republic and the london nation further expresses the sentiment of this chapter in what i hope is a fraternal way and i hope suggests the day when california will have power over india asia and all the world and plant giant redwood trees of the spirit the world around chapter 17 progress and endowment i allow this discourse also to stand as written in 1914 and 15 it shows the condition just before the war better than any new words of mine could do it the main change now is the growing hope of a backing not only from universities but great art museums chapter 18 architects as crusaders the sermon in this chapter has been carried out on a limited scale and as a result of the suggestion or from pure american instinct we now have handsome gasoline filling stations from one end of america to the other and really gorgeous ford garages our union depots and our magazine stands in the leading hotels and our big soda fountains are more and more attractive all the time having recited of late about twice around the united states and continuing the pilgrimage i can testify that they are all alike from new york to san francisco one has to ask the hotel clerk to find out whether it is new york or uh, And the motion picture discipline of the American eye has had a deal to do with this increasing tendency to newsstand and architectural standards and architectural thinking such as it is. So I meant the suggestion to go further and to be taken in a higher sense. So I ask these people to read this chapter again. I have carried out the idea in parable perhaps more clearly in The Golden Book of Springfield, when I speak of the World's Fair of the University of Springfield, to be built one hundred years hence, and I would recommend to those who have already taken seriously chapter 18 to re-read it in two towns, amply worth the car fare it cost, to go to both of them first santa fe new mexico at the end of the santa fe trail the oldest city in the united states the richest in living traditions and with the oldest and the newest architecture in the united states not a stone or a stick of it standardized a city with a soul jerusalem and mecca and benares and thebes for any artist or any poet of america's Future, or anyone who would dream of great cities born of great architectural photoplays, or great photoplays born of great cities, and the other city symbolized by the golden rain tree in the Golden Book of Springfield is New Harmony, Indiana that was the greenwich village of america more than one hundred years ago when it was yet in the heart of the wilderness millions of miles from the sea it has a tradition already as dusty and wonderful as abydas and jim atten and every stone is still eloquent of individualism and standardization has not yet set its foot there is it not possible for the architects to brood in such places and then say to one another build from your hearts buildings and films which shall be your individual hieroglyphics each according to his own loves and fancies chapter nineteen on coming forth by day this is the second egyptian chapter it has its direct relation to the hieroglyphic chapter page one seventy one i note that i say here it cost a dime to go to the show well now it cost around thirty cents to go to a good show in a respectable suburb sometimes fifty cents but we will let that dime remain there as a matter of historic interest and pass on to higher themes certainly the hieroglyphic chapter is in words of one syllable and any kindergarten teacher can understand it chapter nineteen adds a bit to the idea i do not know how warranted i am in displaying egyptian knowledge newspaper reporters never tire of getting me to talk about hieroglyphics in their relation to the photo plays and always give me respectful headlines on the theme i can only say that up to this hour every time i have toured art museums i have begun with the egyptian exhibit and if my patient guest was willing lectured on every period on to the present time giving a little time to the principal exhibits in each room but i have always found myself returning to egypt as a standard it seems my natural classic land of art so when i took up hieroglyphics more seriously last summer i found them extraordinarily easy as though i were looking at a movie in a book i think egyptian picture writing came easy because i have analyzed so many hundreds of photoplay films merely for recreation and the same style of composition is in both any child who reads one can read the other but of course the literal translation must be there at hand to correct all wrong guesses i figure that in just one thousand years i can read hieroglyphics without a pony but meanwhile i tour museums and i ride pharaoh's horse and suggest to all photoplay enthusiasts they do the same i recommend these two books most heartily elementary egyptian grammar by margaret a murray london bernard quaritch eleven grafton street bond street west and the three volumes of the book of the dead which are indeed the papyrus of ani referred to in this chapter pages two fifty five to two fifty eight it is edited translated and produced in facsimile by the keeper of the egyptian and assyrian antiquities in the british museum professor e a wallace budge published by g p putnam's sons new york and philip lee warner london this book is certainly the greatest motion picture i have ever attended i have gone through it several times and it is the only book one can read twelve hours at a stretch on the pullman when one is making thirty-six hour and forty-eight hour jumps from town to town american civilization grows more hieroglyphic every day the cartoons of darling the advertisements in the back of the magazines and on the billboards and in the street cars the acres of photographs in the sunday newspapers make us into a hieroglyphic civilization far nearer to egypt than to england let us then accept for our classic land for our standard of form the country naturally our own hieroglyphics are so much nearer to the american mood than the rest of the egyptian legacy that americans seldom get as far as the hieroglyphics to discover how congenial they are seeing the mummies good americans flee but there is not a man in America writing advertisements or making cartoons or films but would find delightful the standard books of hieroglyphics sent out by the British Museum once he gave them a chance. They represent that very aspect of visual life which Europe understands so little in America and which has been expanding so enormously even the last year. Halloween, for instance, last a whole week now with mummers on the street every night october twenty fifth to the thirty first chapter twenty the prophet wizard who do we mean by the prophet wizard we mean not only artists such as are named in this chapter but dreamers and workers like johnny appleseed or abraham lincoln the best account of johnny appleseed is in harper's monthly for november eighteen seventy one people do not know abraham lincoln till they have visited the grave of ann rutledge at petersburg illinois then new old salem a mile away new old salem is a prophet's hill on the edge of the sangamon with lovely woods all around here a brooding soul could be born and here the dreamer abraham lincoln spent his real youth i do not call him a dreamer in a cheap and sentimental effort to describe a man of aspiration lincoln told and interpreted his visions like joseph and daniel in the old testament revealing them to the members of his cabinet in great trials of the civil war People who do not see visions and dream dreams in the good Old Testament sense have no right to leadership in America. I would prefer photo plays filled with such visions and oracles to the state papers written by practical men. As it is, we are ruled indirectly by photoplays owned and controlled by men who should be in the shoestring and and hook-and-eye trade. Apparently their digestions are good they are in excellent health and they keep out of jail chapter twenty one the acceptable year of the lord if i may be pardoned for referring to the same book i assumed in the golden book of springfield illinois that the acceptable year of the lord would come for my city beginning november first two thousand eighteen and that up to that time amid much of joy there would also be much of thwarting and tribulation but in the beginning of that mystic november the soul of my city named avanel would become as much a part of the city as pallas athena was athens and indeed i wrote into the book much of the spirit of the photoplay outlined pages one forty seven through one fifty but in the golden book i changed the lady the city worshipped from a golden image into a living breathing young girl descendant of that great american daniel boone and her name obviously avanel boone with her tribe she incarnates all the mystic ideals of the boones of kentucky all this but a prelude to saying that i have just passed through the city of santa fe new mexico it is a santa fe full of glory of the new architecture of which i have spoken and the issuing of a book of cowboy songs collected and many of them written by n howard thorpe a citizen of santa fe and thrilling with the issue of a book of poems about the glory of new mexico this book is called red earth it is by alice corbin henderson and santa fe is full of the glory of a magnificent state capital that is an art gallery of the whole southwest and the glories of the studio of william pinhollow henderson who has painted our new arabia more splendidly than it was ever painted before with the real character thereof and no theatricals this is just the kind of a town i hoped for when i wrote my first draft of the art of the moving picture here now is literature and art when they become one art as of old in egypt we will have new mexico hieroglyphics from the henderson and their kind and their surrounding indian pupils a basis for the american motion picture more acceptable and more patriotic and more organic for us than the egyptian and i come the same month to denver and find a new art museum projected which i hope has much indeed to do with the acceptable year of the lord when films as vital as the santa Fe songs and the pictures and architecture can be made and in common spirit with them in this new Arabia george w eggers the director of the newly projected denver art museum assures me that a photoplay policy can be formulated amid the problems of such an all-around undertaking as building a great art museum in denver he expects to give the photoplay the attention a new art deserves especially when it affects almost every person in the whole country so i prophesy denver to be the art museum and art school capital of new arabia as santa fe is the artistic architectural and song capital at this hour and i hope it may become the motion picture capital of america from the standpoint of pure art not manufacture what do i mean by new arabia When I was in London in the fall of 1920, the editor of The Landmark, the organ of the English-speaking Union, asked me to draw my map of the United States. I marked out the various regions under various names. For instance, I called the coast-states Washington, Oregon, and California New Italy. The reasons may be found in the chapter in this book on California then i named the states just west of the middle west and east of new italy new arabia these states are new mexico arizona utah colorado wyoming idaho and montana these are the states which carry the rocky mountains north toward the aurora borealis and south toward the tropics here individualism andrew jacksonism will forever prevail and american standardization can never prevail in cabins that cannot be reached by automobile and deserts that cannot be crossed by boulevards the john the baptist the hermits and the prophets can strengthen their souls here are lonely places as sweet for the spirit as was little old new salem illinois one hundred years ago or the wilderness in which walked johnny appleseed Now it is the independence of spirit of this new Arabia that I hope the Denver Art Museum can interpret in its photoplay films and send them on circuits to the art museums springing up all over America where sculpture, architecture, and painting are now constantly sent on circuit. Let that already established convention, the circuit exhibition, be applied to this new art. And after Denver has shown the way, I devoutly hope that the great city of Los Angeles may follow her example. Consider, O oh great city of Los Angeles, now almost the equal of New York in power and splendor, consider what it would do for the souls of all your film artists if you projected just such a museum as Denver is now projecting. Your fate is coming toward you. Denver is halfway between Chicago, with the greatest art institute in the country, and Los Angeles, the natural capital of the photoplay. The Art Museum of America should rule the universities and the photoplay studios as well. In the art museums should be set the final standards of civic life rather than in any musty libraries or routine classrooms. And the great weapon of the art museums of all the land should be the hieroglyphic of the future, the truly artistic photoplay. And now for book two, at length. It is a detailed analysis of the films first proclaimed in 1915, and never challenged or overthrown, and for the most part accepted intact by the photoplay people, and the critics, and the theorists as well. End of Book 1